Church History Matters, episode 49. God's grace and peace to you, brothers and sisters. Welcome back to another episode of Church History Matters. My name is Ruben Rosales. I'm here with my co-host. And I'm Joseph Knowles, and we're glad to be back. Yeah, again, fairly recent. Yeah. Compared to last time, we had a longer break. Yes. Hopefully we'll, we'll do better this year. Yeah. <laughs> I think we only got like eight episodes last year. Yeah. We'll, we'll try to get 12 this year. Right. We didn't make a resolution about it, but... Right, because we don't do resolutions. Yeah, not usually. Yeah. Well, Jonathan Edwards did, but... Not New Year's resolutions. Right, yes. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong right. with that. right. But that's neither here nor there. All right. Um, so we're going to do what we Something have Something we skipped in. last year. Yeah, we didn't do one last year. I don't remember year. why we didn't do it. I don't remember. Uh, nothing happened last year. Yeah. That could have been very important. <laughs> Honestly, the, the years are still blurring for me. Oh, yeah. I was talking to my wife and it was really weird because I was thinking about something. I was like, oh, that was just two years ago, right? No. I was like, oh, wait, no, that was, you know. Three or four years ago, because I'm thinking of 2020 and 20, you know, <laughs> thinking that last year was 2021. 2020 was the worst. Yeah, year yeah, ever. yeah. Somebody, um, and you'll have to know the movies. And of course, I don't. We don't recommend movies. That's a liberty <laughs> of conscience issue here. But right. there's a there's a meme somebody did, and it's at the top. It's heading into you know 2019, and it's got uh, John Travolta and Olivia Newton St. John uh, Olivia Newton John <laughs> from um, Greece sitting right. in the car, and then the bottom frame is John Travolta and is it Uma Thurman? Yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> <laughs> it says heading into 24, 2024. Yeah, and that's definitely how it feels sometimes, but. Hey, yeah. we have reason to rejoice oh, in the yes, hope of the gospel. Amen. So, yeah, we'll look back at 2023 and some of the events maybe that will be on a church history podcast 100 years from now if we're still around and if podcasts are still a thing. Yeah, that'd be maybe interesting. Just upload them directly to your brain or something. I Who mean, knows? blogs are still a thing. That's true. That's been around since the 90s. Yeah, that's, that's 30 true. years. So maybe maybe it'll last longer than we're thinking it will. So in any event, we'll, we'll jump into that and we've actually... Um, I got a little bit of uh, a cheat sheet this time, yeah. um, but before that, we do have this, this week, week in, in church history. history. Yes. We're recording this the first week of January, so hopefully this episode will come to you on or about January 10th, year 2024. And there was an event that occurred on that date in the year 1645. So we've mentioned in the past a few times just in passing, either like the English Civil War, the Commonwealth under Oliver Cromwell, that time period. Mm. And there was a lot of church-state conflict going on. We've also mentioned in passing, I think, that the Westminster Assembly that put together the, oh, right. the Confession, the Catechism, and the Directive for Public Worship was yeah. called by Parliament after... The first line of Baptist Confession had already been written. Right. So, you know. Just for, you know. Just remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and around about the same time in the Church of England, the, I guess, the spiritual head, so to speak, um, we'll talk a little bit more about this because of one of the events that we're going to discuss, but is the Archbishop of Canterbury. So the Archbishop of Canterbury at the time when the English Civil War was going on uh, was a guy by the name of William Laud. He was known, well, he was kind of 
detested. There was a there was a mutual animosity between him and the Puritans. They didn't like him, and he didn't like them either. So he was trying to reform the Church of England, and in some ways make it more like the Roman Catholic Church. Ew. Because he would say that his his idea for the Church of England and biblical Christianity had more in common with the Roman Catholics than they did with the, than he did with the Puritans hmm. in a lot of ways. But if you if you also remember your history of the English Civil Wars, it was the you know the faction that it, that had most of the Puritans that ended up being on the winning side of that in the end. So when the events start getting going, uh, William Laud is one of the guys who is arrested. Laud, L-A-U-D? L-A-U-D. No E at the end? No E. Oh. Yeah, so just William, L-A- William L-A-U-D. So um, he's arrested. Eventually he finds himself in the Tower of London, which is not a place that you wanted to be at the time. Aside from just being where they kept all of the high-profile political prisoners, it was just not, it was not a good environment. Now, at the time, he was... 67, 68 years old. So he is um, an elderly man, and he would eventually be charged with um, uh, with 14 different charges. And if you read some versions of them, they're very kind of vague in general uh, about what they were complaining about. A lot of them had to do with disputes he had with the Puritans about how the Church of England should be run, right. and he was a little. He was more controlling in some areas than they thought was proper, but he eventually was put on trial. So there were some members of parliament who kind of wanted to put that off. Right. Like he's, he's 68 years old. He's not going to live much longer. We don't need to go through the motions of putting him on trial, especially when the evidence we have against him that he's actually committed treason is hmm, pretty flimsy. So let's not do that. But eventually the other, the other side of that argument wins out. He is put on trial in 1644 and um, they kind of got to an impasse where it was like, oh, we don't know if we're actually going to be able to convict him. So they, all right, let's let's be done with this trial thing. They send it back to Parliament, and Parliament Parliament enacts a bill of attainder, which, if you know, you uh, American listeners might be familiar from with the phrase. If you remember in civics class, you learned that the United States Constitution prohibits bills of attainder, but you might not have actually remembered mm. what that was, or they might not teach it. But it's effectively an act of parliament that says William Laud is guilty of treason. Oh. Skip the trial, skip the jury, go straight to execution. Oh, begging the question? Uh, in a way, yeah. <laughs> Essentially, right? But it's just, it's a way to go outside the typical judicial process. Right. Uh, which is, is why... Skirting due process. Yes, yes. So that's been abolished in England since since then. And it was never allowed in the United States. But at the time, it was a prerogative, uh, first of the king and then eventually of parliament hmm. to, to pass these things. It had various other legal consequences. But the biggest consequence is that on January 10th, 1645, he is executed by beheading. Yikes. Within, about, within the next four years, Charles I, the king himself, would be beheaded. So this was, they were just kind of getting started with hmm. the big parts of their political revolution, but obviously a very momentous occasion in church history as well, where you have parliament saying, you, sir, head of the church, have committed treason by these things that you have done, and we will execute you. That's interesting. It makes me think of the, um, you know, Pope, uh, oh goodness, I always forget. I want to say Leo, but I know it's not Leo. The one that was really, really bad. Hard Um, to pick. Well, (laughs) yes. 
But the one that essentially claimed, laid claim to the church having higher power mm-hmm. over the state. Yes, yes. I forget which one it was. Uh, pious? No, not pious. I think we're thinking of Gregory the Seventh. Mm, maybe. No, maybe. Well, there was one. There was one pope, and I can't remember. I'm, I'm so frustrated. I can't remember. It, but <laughs> the pope who who essentially brought the papacy to its highest mm. zenith of yeah, power, yeah. yeah, and and actually held it. Um, he was essentially making the opposite claim of what the state is doing in this in this case. The state right. is saying, "No, we are above you, mm-hmm. and if you say anything against us, then we have the right to yeah. take your life." Yeah, kind of like what's happening in Ukraine. Well, uh, that's actually one of the ones that we will talk about at the end here, because that is uh, as a significant moment. So, yeah. at least on the face of it, they're saying, "Hey, you are you are guilty of William Laud. You are guilty of treason against right. the kingdom, which is a s- civil offense." But it's so make everything that he did was so intertwined with the with the Church of England that it's hard to pull apart and say, well, this was actually a crime against the kingdom, and this was just missed, you know, maladministration of the church. But when you have, you know, and at the time, the, the king is the, the legal head of the Church of England. So right. that's, you know, church-state problems there. Anyway. Yeah. That was January 10th, 1645, 379 years ago this week in church history. Goodness gracious. Yeah. Quite we a while. still have those problems today. They continue. All right. So what we did here or where we are getting these are the Religious News Association top 10 stories of 2023. So sometimes we'll read the um, we read the headline, and <laughs> some of the, the wording of some of them is definitely not what I would have chosen. So this is yeah, is, I was just looking at that. I was looking yeah. at the very first one. I was like, <laughs> well, I wouldn't word that yeah, that yeah. way, but okay. <laughs> yeah. So this is the the wording from the RNA, but I think they they did I, I do a pretty good job. I thought of identifying some of the major stories and some that may have ramifications for for years to come. So oh, I'm sorry. It was I a uh, section one, paragraph one. That was the one I was looking at. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it was like, you could just get rid of that word before marriage and just call it yes. marriage. Yes, but exactly. So anyways. we'll see how many of the, there's 10 here. We'll see how many we can get through. Um, some of them are, several of them are related to Pope Francis. So <laughs> we might be able to group some of those together. Pope Francis. Yes. Yeah. The Bishop of Rome. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. More than 5,600 congregations leave the United Methodist Church. Many join more conservative Methodist denominations or go independent in a widening schism over theology and the role of lesbian, gay, bi, trans, questionable congregants in what had long been nations a Protestant denomination. Um, that's a that's a big deal. Because honestly, if you you know, in the past, probably if you had asked me five years ago about the umc in general i would have told Mm -hmm. you stay away yeah there's there are no good umc churches right but it's becoming clear that that is not the case right (laughs) because a a lot of the news was kind of how they were on a a very bad trajectory which is frustrating in some Mm -hmm. respect because like uh, one of the things i put in notes here is that their official statement on marriage is you know pretty clear yep they say quote we support laws in civil society that define marriage as the union of one man and one woman. I mean, Amen. yeah, and I mean, you could you could take that to any conservative Southern Baptist or yeah. 
you know, Presbyterian congregation, they said, yes, we absolutely agree with that. The, the other part that they say, and this is, yeah, we, we wouldn't word it this way, but they say, although persons are sexual, although all persons are sexual beings, whether or not they are married, sexual relations are affirmed only with the covenant of monogamous heterosexual marriage. Mm. And I see, I had a problem with the word heterosexual, yeah, but yeah. I mean, and same as, I can say the same with monogamous. I'm right. like, that's yeah. what marriage is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now it, it's, it's redundant given how they define the rest of their terms, but right. maybe, you know, belt and suspenders approach. And the last thing they said, and again, these are all of their official documents there. We've got a section on social principles. They say the United Methodist Church does not condone the practice of homosexuality and considers this practice incompatible with Christian teaching. Yeah. Very clear doctrinal statements there. But, <laughs> <laughs> however, yes, that's not quite how things were on the ground. You have a lot of so-called progressive churches and church leaders who just decided... Progressing towards hell. Uh, yeah, sadly. But they decided, uh, we're not going to do that. They're more like guidelines than rules. Right, yeah. So in 2016, you had the Western Jur- Jurisdictional Conference elect the first omen- openly homosexual bishop, a woman by the name of Karen Oliveto. Um, she's, you know, claims to be married to another woman. To their credit, the very next year, the UMC's Judicial Council, so it's kind of like their Supreme Court of their church courts, right. uh, they ruled that the appointment was a violation of church law. <laughs> but they refrained from ruling that the bishop was not in good standing, since that was an issue for a lower ruling body at that point. I mean, that's fair. Right. So you got some procedural stuff in there. Sure. And, yeah. I mean, like, hey, this is the, the, the local church's job right. to remedy this. Yes. Yeah, but this does, we we do not acknowledge this, right? Because it is against the Bible. Yeah, yeah. So they have. I mean, they're they're, and that's a whole other episode. We did two episodes on the Methodists already. I yeah, we did. <laughs> so their church polity is a little bit different. It's not right. quite Capelian. It's not quite congregational. It's right. its own mix of of things. So that's mm-hmm. part of the other thing there. So they were set to hold a general conference, and that's kind of like their Southern Baptist Convention or General Presbyterian General Assembly. General Assembly, yeah. Um, in January, 2020, but you know, some things happened (laughs) around about that time and it was, it was canceled, but there was a proposal that was going to be heard that would have said, Hey, we, we're at, we're at an impasse on these kind of issues. So we need to go separate ways, Yep, which would have been the honorable and right thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. But being that 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 uh, general conference was canceled, and they only held them every four years, which is probably a good idea if anybody's listening out there in Southern <laughs> Baptist Convention land. I don't know. In the meantime, that was it, it, there were some conservative leaders in the church who said that we just can't wait that long. Right. Um, this has we have to decide this now. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really within their power to say we need to split up, but they could kind of set up their own thing, yep. um, known as the Global Methodist Church as this new denomination where churches and conferences would be able to move. Hmm. It's so, it always, it always just drives me mad when I think, you know, here we are minding our business, doing the Lord's work, living according to God's law, loving him and loving our neighbors. And then people who hate God see that and they're like, Hey, I want to join this club. Hmm. And then we say, Hey, no, the Bible says you must be born again. You must mm-hmm. repent of sin and turn from it. And they get all up in arms and like, oh, no, you should let us join. That's not fair. And then they, you know, for some reason or other, 
somebody makes a decision that we can, you know, have some loose association. Mm-hmm. And then next thing you know, they're becoming, that's how it happens. It's always yep. the slow fade yep. into the point where it's like, okay, listen, we're not going the same way as you. You cannot be joined with us. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, but they just want to, misery loves company, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I w- well, I guess many of them not, did not stick around, obviously, but the pace at which they wanted to leave wasn't entirely within their control because you've got, okay, again, the same judicial council says, hey, individual churches can leave. That's yep. fine. You can do what you want, but you cannot leave as an annual conference. So that's kind of like regional denominations, mm. associations. So like you can leave, ch- you know, one church or churches can vote individually. Even then you can only leave after you request you know, up the line to do so. Now, as far as I'm aware, like they're not denying any of those requests. If you want out, if you want out, that's fine. We're not, we're not telling you have to stay in. Right. And then those disaffiliations would not actually take effect until December 31st of 2022. So a year ago, this, you know, this past week. Right. And in 2022, there were about 1800 disaffiliations from the United Methodist conferences in 2023, and this is the news story, that number more than tripled. So yeah, when they say over 5,600 churches requesting to leave, uh, making a total of 7,660 wow. just since 2019. That's one in four churches hey, out of their that's denomination. Great. Yeah. I mean, so that's, I mean it, it, just to point out, you know, that, I mean, may the Lord forgive me because, and, and anyone else who ever looked at the UMC and said, oh, that's not a church that has the, the light of the gospel. In its midst, only Christ mm-hmm. removes it. And we yeah. see here a wonderful picture of, you know, the Lord has left a remnant mm-hmm. of that that congregation or that assembly. And he's now, you know, pulling them out. Yeah. Praise God for yep. that. So later this year, they will have their 2024 general conference. And perhaps that proposal to allow entire conferences to leave right. will still be on the table. So that's still kind of up in the air as of this recording. Now, you already kind of hit on some of the reasons that this is significant. You know, we talked about second largest Protestant denomination. Mm-hmm. They've split once before, actually, in 1844 right. over the issue of slavery, as happened with the Baptists and the Presbyterians and pretty much every large American <laughs> denomination you can think of. Uh, Protestant denomination, but they came back together in yeah. 1939. Now, other than that, and yeah, like other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play, right? Like that's a big deal. <laughs> Apart from that one, which is obviously a major split, they've been pretty stable as a right. denomination since 1784. So wow. that's since John Wesley. <laughs> wow. It, it's one of the, the longstanding, whenever we talk about like mainline denominations, this yeah. is one of them. And, you know, when talking about men like John Wesley, Francis Asbury, big yeah. names in, in church history, both here and in, in, the, in the United Kingdom, you know, it's a big deal. So the issue of slavery split them for over a century or nearly a century. Right. And it looks like this issue of homosexuality and the sanctity of biblical marriage is going to do the same or more. Or just taking the Bible seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So that's one. That's a big one. Yeah, that's a big one. On to the next one, number two. Number two, which, well, I'll just read it for you. The Anglican communion verges on schism as conservative church leaders representing about 85% of the global Anglican population declare no confidence in the communion's traditional instruments of unity, including the leadership of Archbishop of Canterbury. 
So again, it's some of the same issues that the Methodists are facing. Again, keep in mind, this is, uh, it started with the Church of England, but it's not just the Church of England right. now. You've got the Episcopal Church in the United States, various other Anglican communions throughout the world. Now here in the United States, you have the Anglican Church in North America, but they actually out of a a group called, or a meeting called the Global Anglican Future Conference, or GAFCON, I guess. Excellent name. Yeah. It's a group of conservative church leaders within the Anglican Communion that they saw the church heading in a very dangerous direction and wanted to do something about it. So um, the result of that conference was what came to be known as the Jerusalem Declaration, mm. and part of it is the Jerusalem Statement. But that you know didn't do much other than just reassert their commitment to biblical Christianity. Right. And you know they specifically reaffirm the Thirty Nine Articles, which is the Anglican Church's doctrinal statement, the conference stated their support for the establishment of the ACNA due to the liberalization of the Episcopal Church and the Anglican Church of Canada. So they said, hey, these conservative churches, conservative church leaders should have somewhere to go Yeah, if they, can't, if they decide that they cannot stay. This group, GAFCON, continued to meet. Their fourth conference was held in April 2023 in Rwanda. The result of this, uh, and the capital of Rwanda is Kigali, I'm, oh, okay. I was going to say, what is that word? I think that's how it's pronounced. But yeah, they issued two documents, one the Kigali Commitment, or one document is referred to either as the Kigali Commitment or the Kigali Communique. Among other things, it reasserted a lot of what they had already said at the Jerusalem Conference in 2008. But mm. this one takes particular issue with the Archbishop of Canterbury. Which, which is what? Who is he? He is, well... Officially, he's the head of the Church of England. Officially? Um, yes. Okay. I'll use that word. Okay. Now, within the Anglican Communion, he's kind of like the de facto spiritual okay. head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was Okay, gotcha, at. gotcha. Now, so in some ways, it's similar to the Pope. Right. But in some ways, very different. Yeah. Because he, he does not have any kind of temporal political authority. Right. Like, the Pope is technically like the king of the vatican, the vatican city. city yeah i mean he, well he sits on a literal throne he is yes <laughs> and he has actual he has political authority that extends beyond what would be expected of like just a, a church leader yes um, but archbishop of canterbury does not have that and he's kind of looked at at least again technically as a first among equals like all the other heads of the other churches within the anglican communion are on a level with him officially, but again, it's like, well, some bishops are more equal than others, I guess. <laughs> right. Um, quote here uh, that, that I guess was a part of their yeah their declaration or whatever. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. The statement towards the archbishop. Mm -hmm. And it says, uh, despite 25 years of persistent warning by most Anglican primates, which I'm not sure what. that Yeah, that'd be like the archbishop of... The Church of India or right. something. Okay, yeah, yeah. Repeated departures from the authority of God's word have torn the fabric of the communion. These warnings were blatantly and deliberately disregarded, and now, without repentance, this tear cannot be mended. The latest of these departures is the majority vote by the General Synod of the Church of England in February 2023 to welcome proposals by the bishops to enable same-sex couples to receive God's blessing. It grieves the Holy Spirit and us that the leadership of the Church of England is determined to bless sin. 
Mm. End quote. Mm-hmm. And amen. Yeah. That is a, a very strongly worded, but mm-hmm. gentle rebuke. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, especially that the portion that stood out to me was where they say, without repentance, this tear cannot be mended. Yeah. You know, they're not ruling out the possibility that this is something, of course, that as you pointed out before, Christ is the head of the church. Mm-hmm. And it is he who determines whether to sustain or remove any yeah. any particular church. So they're they're leaving open that possibility, but they're also recognizing like that won't happen yeah. unless you change your ways. Yep. And that's one of the clear warnings if we look to the the letters to the churches in, in Revelation. I yeah. mean, I think that's part of what's going on. Well, I mean, here. even in Acts, as early as Acts, mm-hmm. when you see uh, and John saying we must obey God rather than men. Mm-hmm. And essentially, that's exactly what you have here. And I love that they put in here the authority of God's word, understanding and recognizing where true authority mm-hmm. lies, not with men, not with councils, and not with governments. Yeah. The, the authority, all authority comes from the word of God. Yeah. Well, a couple other things that they mentioned there. So they talk about the instruments of communion. That's, you know, the Archbishop of Canterbury, along with these various conferences, councils, and meetings that he leads, but would involve the other primates of the church. But they say the instruments of communion have failed to maintain true communion based mm-hmm. on the word of God and shared faith in Christ. And while well, it's not the end of the statement, but it's the end of the, the quote that we have, it says, this failure of church discipline has been compounded by the current Archbishop of Canterbury, who has himself welcomed the provision of liturgical resources to bless these practices contrary to Scripture. This renders his leadership role in the Anglican community entirely indefensible. Mm-hmm. So, like you said, very, very strong rebuke, and but again, grounded on scriptures. Like, why is your leadership role indefensible? Because you've cast off the Word of God, right? And that's why you can't you can't defend what you're doing, right? And I think I think our pastor and I believe I've heard John MacArthur say it as well that uh, a pastor has no authority except what what he says that is in line with what scripture says. Right. If yeah. he if he departs from scripture in any way whatsoever, he loses his authority. Yeah. Yep. Because I mean in, in reality he has none mm-hmm. except through the word of God, which is what I said earlier. Right. So uh, I mean we we don't bump up against the Church of England a lot here in right. the United States. And I mean you see the Episcopal Church and they're part of the Anglican communion. But at least in the circles that we travel in, it's not uh, uh, it's not uh, something that's front of mind. But worldwide, you know, they're the third largest Christian community in the world after the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox. So as of 2020, they represent about 85 million members. Wow. Now compare that to the SBC, which latest numbers say about 13 million. Allegedly. Well, yes, down from down from 15 million. Uh, like 9 million. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, depending on who you can actually find on a Sunday morning. Right. Or the United Methodist Church, which again, second largest within the United States is 12 million. Mm. So huge. Yeah. Huge membership. And this is a ma- I mean, this is a major rift and it's it's akin to what's going on within the UMC. It really does remind me. It's of, not just a trickle. It it's really a does flood. remind me of Revelation uh, mm. that that woman mm-hmm. who leads into sexual immorality right it's a very sad sad thing to see and (laughs) on to the next one yes which is you know what yes we got a few here that are 
we'll move on to the Pope Francis section. Rome relating. Yeah. <laughs> he has his own section. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that number three story there. Yeah, Pope Francis, earlier this year, earlier last year, or later, last year. Yes. Towards the end of the year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Pope Francis removed a bishop from Texas, Bishop Joseph Strickland, uh, from the Diocese of Tyler. Uh, following increasingly fierce criticism of the pontiff by the traditionalist prelate. Francis also acts against another frequent critic, stripping retired American Cardinal Raymond Burke of his Vatican salary and apartment subsidy. So, so he took away the allowance and fired one of them. One yes. Of them because, why? Oh, you can't criticize me. Yeah. Basically what it boils down to. Right. Now, if you read, if you go and read some, I mean, he was, he was very sharp in his criticism. See, now that, that's a harsh rebuke. Right. Compared yes. to the other one that we saw from the, the Yes. And Methodist. he was, and, uh, you know, Bishop Strickland was kind of warned, like, yeah. if you keep this up, right. here's what's going to happen. Right. Now, he said, I don't know, maybe. Say less. Right. <laughs> <laughs> maybe to his credit, he believes that. He was, you know, uh, well, if he didn't think he was justified, he wouldn't have done it. Right. So obviously he thinks, no, this is what I need to do. And even if it costs me my position, I'm willing to keep doing it. Right. You know, people will differ on whether he could have tempered some of his language and perhaps he could have. But I think when we we read some of these other, for some of these next few (laughs) items, we'll see like, uh, maybe he wasn't too far off base. It's not unheard of. Right for the Pope to remove a diocesan bishop like Bishop Strickland. So he's actually, you know, appointed to that. I think he was appointed by, 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 by mm. Francis. Right. <laughs> he wouldn't be criticizing the guy that, that uh, appointed yeah. him. <laughs> so it is, it is a power that it was, it's within the Pope's jurisdiction to do this kind of thing, sure. but it's, you know, relatively rarely exercised because usually it doesn't, it doesn't come to something it's like kind this. Of petty. It certainly can come across that yes. way. It's like, Oh, you didn't like that. He was saying things. Right. And that's why you took him out. Now I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, assume his intentions. But you know, looking at the history of his papacy, I don't, right? He's well, not giving me much to work with. It, and it's especially hard in the case of Bishop Strickland because he, at least so far, there's. Well, he says I was not even really given a concrete reason of right. You did this and this and this, and that's why. Right. And, and publicly, they haven't really said anything they just either. It. Yeah, and, and just, honestly, he's I, out. You you should go and read that article um, where it, where he it discusses what led to that and the things that he was saying yeah. and why he was saying. Yeah, it. and and it, it really reminded me a lot of our rise of the papacy thing, where mm-hmm. you saw the oh, you're going to be you're excommunicated. You can't do that. And just right. get rid of all opposition. Yeah. So now Cardinal Cardinal Burke, he's another American. But he his position was within the Roman Curia, so he's got a. It's like if you were again, the Pope is basically the the king of mm-hmm. Vatican City, and if or the CEO, like if you get a position and the CEO of Vatican City hires you to do this job in the Vatican City Corporation, and then you make him mad, well, it's like you're out. Right. It's a slightly different situation, and that's far more common. Like if you have a job working for the Pope, and the Pope doesn't like you, well, yeah. He's going to fire you. Yeah, of course. Sorry. I mean, it happens every four years here. Right. Yes. With our president. It does. Right. And that's that's probably a pretty good analogy yeah. where there's certain, you know, so-called civil service positions sure. like, well, I don't want you. I want my guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, see you later. Yeah. 
All right, so there's there's that. There's part one. Right. And let's move on to part two of uh, yes. Rome, of Rome. Yeah, so this was their fourth story, and they say the Vatican says it's permissible under certain circumstances for transgender Catholics to be baptized and serve as godparents. Pope Francis criticizes laws that criminalize homosexuality as unjust. Agree with scripture. German bishops and laity calls for the church to approve blessings of same-sex unions. So, I mean, and this is an issue that... Obviously, as we've already seen, they sweep yeah. across everything. Yeah. Except the Muslims. I don't think the Muslims are having a you big know, problem with it. <laughs> that is uh, interesting to say. But I mean, that's like, uh, you know, saying, oh, uh, I mean, they're already, it's like they're already in hell. So, I mean, they're, <laughs> what, what further, you know, what, do, what yeah. else do you need to, yeah. you don't need to threaten them to get out of hell. Right. You need for, I mean, to get further into hell, they're already in hell. Yeah, it's um, just in- interesting that it, it's such an attack on Christian denominations yeah. specifically. Well, I mean, because it's Christianity is the true faith. Well, yeah, that that's a good point. That's a good point. We'll leave those guys alone. We're not worried yeah. about the Hindus yeah. and the Buddhists and the and the Muslims, right? So yeah, uh, and he's. I mean, the the whole yeah, situation so this, this is Go ridiculous ahead. that he's going to say uh, he's going to criticize laws that, as I said, agree with God's word. Mm-hmm. How are you going to criticize laws that agree with what the word of God says? Right. You are, you are uh, putting, he's putting himself above the word of God, mm-hmm. which again, reminds me of Revelation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, he's, he's doing that. He's doing that primarily. He's also, uh, I mean, in a way he's reviving some of those middle conflicts from the middle ages between church and state because he's saying, yeah. Hey, you leaders right. of the state, right. those laws that you have imposed are bad and mm-hmm. you should get rid of them. Now, Obviously, he is effectively impotent to yes. do anything about it. Like he can't jump on his horse and go right into battle, right. like some of the the medieval popes. But he, you know, he exerts whatever influence he has. But yeah, at, like you said, um, it's just almost mind almost mind boggling to hear some of these things that he says. I would have. I mean, I grew up Roman Catholic, right? And I grew up under uh, the pontiff of John Paul II, and that guy was highly esteemed. Mm almost universally within the Catholic church mm-hmm. um, from everything that I've seen. Oh yeah. And so to, and it, so the idea of the Pope ever saying some of the things that this Pope has said within his tenure is, is absolutely mind boggling to me. It truly is. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, dude, what are you even, how can you be a claim to be a quote unquote Christian and make those kinds of statements? Yeah. And it's, it's always interesting to watch some folks, especially who will, it's not a totally invalid point in some situations where you're trying to split hairs over, well, what he said was this, but what it, the actual effect that it has due to all this canon law and church procedure and all this kind of stuff. Like, well, that might be true. But you're average that person. Be, <laughs> that's such nonsense because think of, of, of you as a, as a father in the household, mm. right? And so then you say, hey... Uh, this is what God's word says and say, oh, it's okay for, you know, people to go, we'll, we'll go to this uh, gay wedding mm. and celebrate, you know, this or that thing. But then you're going to come back and sit in your house and tell your kids, oh no, we believe in the word of God. Like, right. But you just said something yeah. completely contrary yep. to that. You're completely, you know, you're like ripping the carpet out from underneath yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the very least, it's. Highly confusing and very misleading. Yeah. 
Um, but you're failing. Or you're failing or there's something nefarious right. going on. Which could be both, yeah. Right. Anyhow, let's move on to the next uh, yeah. Roman. Uh, the, the Vatican has formally repudiated the doctrine of finders keepers, <laughs> losers weepers. <laughs> Discovery. The theory is backed by 15th century papal bulls that legitimize the colonial era seizure of native lands and form the basis of some property laws today. I, <laughs> again, I'm like, so let's talk about Israel and Canaan. Tell me your thoughts on this, right, Pope. Who does it all belong to? Yeah. It belongs to God, mm-hmm. and he gives to whom he pleases. Right. Yeah. Um, sometimes that's through right. and it's bad to, means, and sometimes through good. Right. And it's not to give a... I mean, it again, like, for, from my point of view, you know, I take a very libertarian view of property laws, and I would say... No, sorry, Mr. Conquistador. You don't get to sail up to, you know, Finders the keepers. Yucatan, <laughs> Pennsylvania. I mean, as long as there's nobody there, when you find it, go right on ahead. But, you know, if you slaughter everybody, sure. like, that's right. that's different. Right. But, yeah, so. Um, well, I mean, they were savages. And that's the that's the other part <laughs> of it. It's like, I'm not afraid that the human sacrifice is over. Right. Like, anybody had, had the right the natural right to stop that. Yes. Like, no, you guys can't do this anymore. Right, right. It stops today or else. Right. Um, and that's the other thing. is It's just this ridiculous leftist mindset of, of critical race theory of, uh, what do they call it, DEI stuff that's mm-hmm. going on where it's like, you have to find the outrage, but you can't, it's, it's very selective. Mm-hmm. You can't apply it fully and consistently because if you do, well, nobody would own any land, not even governments. Like, right. Because who who owned it before that person and who owned yeah. it before that government? Exactly. You that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it just doesn't work. <laughs> and that's the other the other thing I was going to bring up is like, what is what is the actual motivation here? It's like, right. oh, we realized we were wrong and you shouldn't be able to acquire property by, you know, bloody conquest. Sure. Or is it we want to appease mm-hmm. factions? Yep. And I think it's the latter. The latter. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. So, uh, I believe, is this our last one yet? Our last uh, yeah, Roman our last, and it's kind of similar to the first number one. Number six. Yeah, Pope Francis gathers a synod of Catholic bishops and lay people, which approves a fuller participation of women in church governance. Progressives had hoped, and conservatives feared, the gathering would send stronger signals on behalf of women in leadership and of welcoming of the alphabet soup people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, very closely related to to the the one from before. Same kind of issues. And this is something that has sort of popped up in some reformed circles a few a couple years ago. Mm. Oh yeah, oh, about four years ago, yeah. three to four yeah. years ago. Mm-hmm. And it started making some significant inroads and caused a bit of havoc in a couple of churches. Yeah, a couple of reformed churches. Mm-hmm. The word of God is clear. Yeah, and uh, I love uh, what Brother Josh Bice said at one of the conferences. That he leads, um, that he organizes anyway, uh, at G3, where he said, we're not going to blink about what the word of God says and come up here and speak mm-hmm. in front of this entire audience because right. we don't believe that that is uh, proper. And so it's not going to happen because the word of God says it can't. Mm-hmm. End of story. Yep. And what I don't understand the point of a non-binding thing anyways it's right. just a, it's it's lip service, yes. really performative. So why do it? And I don't understand why anybody would even accept that. I'm a very 
blunt individual, and I prefer to have, you know, give it to me straight. Mm -hmm. No ice, no chaser. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because at least I know what I'm dealing with. Yeah. But, I mean, I think the Word of God is very clear, and I don't think there's any need to have any discussion about this. Yep. Yeah, and I think probably this this can't have made either side happy with the result. Right. Yeah. Not truly happy. All, although, I mean, it depends on uh, how deep in the Saul Alinsky tactics you are, whether this was something that the a step in it's the right the direction. that they need so they can yeah. take a mile. Yeah, quite possibly. Let's see. Um, to, yeah, number seven. Out of Rome. Yes. Shoo. <laughs> Out of the fry pan, into the fire. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> uh, number seven is a quote-unquote, I say, revival. Uh, two-week revival began spontaneously after February chapel service at Asbury University in Kentucky. The round-the-clock sessions of, well, they call it, I don't know, that I would call it prayer uh, and praise, drew tens of thousands of visitors to the evangelical school while also promoting or prompting similar revivals at other Christian colleges. Now, here's the only issue I have with this. Uh, I praise God for any revival yes, that occurs. Absolutely, yes. Praise God for it, and only he can do it. Mm-hmm. It is not anything that is manufactured by man. Right. But when the likes of uh, Todd, Todd White mm. are going and singing the praises of this quote-unquote revival. Yeah. I'm going to look at it with great scrutiny. Yes. And so, for that reason, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Now, I did, I because I remember this was all over social media at the time. Yeah, it was. And um, a subject of great controversy. So, maybe this will be one that, you know, it's always hard to say because yeah. you talk to people now about like, well, hey, let's talk about the Azusa Street Revival. And they'll mm-hmm. look at like, I don't know what that is. Right. Um, and that was, you know, this was within the last hundred years or so. But, and it actually did have significant downstream effects. So my sense is uh, this will probably end up being the same way. I, I think it's necessary also to distinguish between revival and revivalism. Oh, absolutely. And I think... Ian Murray has a great book on that. He does. (laughs) So does Jonathan Edwards, I believe. Yeah. And I think that my inclination is to consider what occurred in Asbury perhaps more revivalism than true revival. Perhaps. I I mean, I could be wrong. Yeah. Very, very, very likely. I I did, you know, after it had been several days or a week or whatever, I went and I went back and like, okay, well, let's see what kicked this whole thing off. Right. And actually listen to the guy's sermon. And to me, it struck me as just like a run-of-the-mill weekday chapel sermon mm-hmm. at an evangelical university. Like there was nothing, you know, didn't blow my socks off. Sure. But the guy was not, you know, jumping up and down. He was right. he was very clearly not trying to right. start something. He was just, here's my message, and this is my word of encouragement for you. And he lays it out there. That was pretty much it. Yeah. Um, which is... Absolutely, to his credit. Yeah. Because I can think of other other revivalist-type movements. And the sure. biggest one is from my hometown in Pensacola, <laughs> the Brownsville Revival, yep. where, I mean, if you can go and read about how that started, it's fairly evident to me that that was manufactured from the get-go. Like, right. they wanted to kick off this big right. thing for, you know, whatever purpose that they had in mind. But that's one that... And I had, you know, I think I mentioned it before, I had friends in school who... Yeah. Who went to that and yeah. like had you know they were there every night, yeah. but then you go back and you find out more about it. Like this is 
this is very this is very troubling right. and i don't think the way that they wanted to do that was right at all but, but you don't uh, say all that to say i don't see right. i don't see that level right or any level really of manufacturing it from what and that guy said. We need to be careful. We absolutely need to be careful about becoming cynical anytime we see. And uh, like, for example, mm -hmm. I saw earlier this year, and you can kind of, we could probably include this in this because it happened in 2023. Mm -hmm. uh, famous uh, celebrity, uh, Kat Von D, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. tattoo artist. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, gave her life to the Lord. Mm -hmm. And by all accounts that I can see, has made a true profession of faith mm -hmm. and was baptized so threw away all of her dark morbid stuff i mean she still dresses in all black clothing but you know whatever <laughs> but she's you know her her demeanor is changed you can see a new spirit inside of her and it's it's amazing and i have seen nothing but vitriol towards her mm -hmm. and just disgust from people claiming christ mm -hmm. and that that's that shouldn't happen no yeah and that, I mean, it's, it's, it's good for us to be judicious in who we allow within our midst, mm -hmm. but the Bible is very clear about those that repent. Mm -hmm. There is there is rejoicing in heaven. Yeah. How dare we sit here and, and judge and scrutinize and be like, oh, well, I'll wait and see. We'll see how it goes next year. It's like, right. oh, come yeah. on, man. We don't need that. No. Just, uh, it's... <laughs> This is a, this is not the, this is not biblical. It's, it's Disney, but <laughs> when Thumper's dad in Bambi the movie says, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. I think there's a stronger version of that, which is what you're getting at. Well, what I tell my kids, if you cannot be kind, be quiet. Mm. Because kindness sometimes will require saying something that is not perceived as being nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it might still need to be said. Yeah. And so... If you have something that you need to say, just make sure that it's, it is a kind thing. Right. Even if it's not a nice thing. Yes. And yes. there were some very not nice things oh, yes. that were being said about her. Yeah, most certainly. Moving on, we got uh, we got three. Uh, three left, yep. Three. Number four. eight. Oh, there's 11 stories oh, here. Oh, there's 11. I thought... How did that happen? I might have. Did I miss a number? I don't know. Uh, I, or I might have split one in two or Maybe. something. <laughs> <laughs> but this one is numbered number eight. The U.S. Supreme well, Court. Well, we could really say that there's this Rome is it's all one. Yeah, yeah. There we go. We'll we'll go with that. Uh, but this is number eight. The U.S. Supreme Court rules in 303 Creative LLC versus Atlantis that a Christian designer of wedding websites can refuse to work with same-sex couples, citing her right to free speech. The court also rules in Graf versus DeJoy in favor of a Christian postal worker who wanted Sundays off, saying employers need to accommodate workers' religious practices unless it results in substantial increased costs. Right, which that, that one was huge. Yeah, that was kind of a... I remember rejoicing when I found yeah. out about that. That is really, really huge because... The Supreme Court, and I believe it was... It was unanimous. It was unanimous, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. They said, no, it's substantial. It said, right. before it just said a burden. Or uh, more than a de minimis cost. Right. Which is like anything. Anything, yeah. But they made it very clear it must result in substantial increased cost. Yeah. So they put a little bit of an extra qualifier on there, and I think that's to our benefit. Yeah. To, to the church. Yeah. Blame Amazon for that one coming up. I mean, and that's literally yeah, what happened absolutely. to this guy where he, he was driving a route that was a, a rural route 
you know, he worked for a couple different post offices. And when Amazon came along, like they have the U.S. Postal Service do what you might call like their last mile delivery. And that necessitated, well, it didn't necessitate because right. the package was will keep until Monday. Yep. But Amazon strongly uh, requested that the Postal Service do these deliveries for them. And that required them to ask people to work on Sunday. Mm. And he said, well, I, I can't do that. Right. I'm not going to work on Sunday. That's the Lord's day. Yeah. But I'll find people who will cover yeah. my shift. I'll work extra shifts during the right. week. Like he was, you know, he kind of bent over backwards to yeah. say, I don't want this to be a burden on you. I understand what I'm asking, but this is my conviction. I have to do it. And right. they finally said, no, you can't do that. Either you work, you work Sundays or you're gone. Um, I think they eventually moved to a different one where they weren't doing that or something. But well, it had yeah. already happened once. Yeah, it happened once. That's right. I think he just retired anyway. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. But I, either way, praise God for that. Yeah, it's a good a good precedent. Now the other one, the three hundred three creative case, the way that the RNA here has um, summarized it is, uh, I don't know if I would sign summarize it quite that way because it, you know, how it was characterized in the media at the time was very unfavorable. Right. Toward this lady who is like who you know was just saying like I'll design websites for anybody. Right. I just am, am not going to engage in this creative work that requires me to you know convey a message that I believe right. is wrong and sinful. Right. And that, yeah, that was not unanimous. <laughs> no, of course not. And I'm trying to remember if that one was a Colorado case. I think it was a Colorado case. Let me look it up real quick. Um, yes. Colorado. Of mm. course it was Colorado. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Uh, and the, the decision was six to three. Colorado has been really, really bad on this. The other one is, and this comes kind of after the Masterpiece Cake Shop one. Oh, Jack Phillips. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so they've, in the case of the 303 Creative, she beat them to the punch and <laughs> said, I'm going to sue you first rather than set up my business nice. and you guys come after me. And, you know, that, that's... Uh, she had good lawyers. <laughs> nice. That was a good, a good legal strategy. And because I mean, the state of Colorado has persecuted Jack Phillips. There's no other word for that. Yep. They have targeted this man and gone after him intentionally to try to punish him. Mm -hmm. And it's it's really shameful and wicked. And fortunately, he so far he has prevailed. And Lori Smith, who ran the company involved in the 303 Creative case, has also prevailed. And hopefully, you know, there's a a measure of protection for Christians who, you know, want to do business and they're not turning, they're not turning people away right. because of, you know, whatever, whatever their particular sin is. Right. But they're just saying, I won't participate in it. And that's all. Right. And that's, that is protected yeah. by law. So Absolutely. those but probably again, will have ramifications to come. It's so absurd because you know, if you think about it, right, Christians who have strong convictions we don't have the luxury of going to exclusively people who will affirm our own mm. lifestyles. All right, yeah, yeah. We have to deal. We have to live in a world, which is what the Bible tells us, and it's mm -hmm. fine. Yeah. I don't know that any Christians complaining about this. Yeah. But it's just it's just silly to me that they're going to cry as if, and I don't mean cry like literally cry, but I mean they're going to make a statement that right. we have quote unquote privilege when I don't think we do. <laughs> certainly not certainly not in the way in the way that they mean it. No. Right. All, All right. right. Back to our favorite convention. Yes. The Southern Baptist Convention 
expels five churches for having women pastors, quote-unquote pastors, because women are not capable of being right. pastors, including California megachurch Saddleback. Our friend uh, Rick Warren. Rick Warren. Yeah, what was it? What was his book? The Purpose Driven Life. Yeah, Purpose Driven. Mm-hmm. Purpose Driven Everything. Yeah. So the SBC Executive Committee's interim president resigns upon revelations he falsified his work record. SBC leaders face backlash for approving a legal brief opposing a lawsuit by a victim of child sexual abuse. Good gravy. I don't know what I don't know what to say about the SBC. Yeah. I mean, I think I I wonder how, how much lasting significance the expulsion votes actually will be. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I know there is definitely more than 5. Oh, yes. that are oh, yes. doing this practice. Far more. Far more. Yeah. And they they've documented them. Now, what will be <sighs> every every year I feel like it's like, well, this is the last year. I don't need to pay attention to this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they keep bringing me back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um but that so at the past convention, they had the vote to expel. They also had a vote on an amendment to the SBC uh governing documents that would um was that this what, past year? So they've had to vote on it twice. Okay. So they voted on it once. They'll have to vote on it again mm. this summer. And that would kind of pave the road for more of these mm-hmm. to make it crystal clear. Like, no, if you do this under these circumstances, you are not in good fellowship and you you will not be deemed uh, church in good standing as part of the Southern Baptist Convention. So if that, you know, if it passes, then, you know, maybe maybe this will turn out to have you know, significance down the road. As it stands, uh, I, I don't know, because although you look at a, it, it was kind of, you know, that was one of the things going in. It's like, oh, Saddleback Church, really? Right. How's that going to go? Yeah. Because that's a lot of people. That's a lot of money. And Rick mm-hmm. Warren is a very prominent face. Oh, yeah. Um, he came to the floor of the convention. Bat, well, no, that was, that was for a different thing. Uh, but you know he walks up there, and he now to their credit again because they didn't do this the year before, they let him come down, and he got five free minutes basically um, when they were cutting people off at the microphone earlier in the right, day. Right, right. But he, you know, he knows who to text on the platform. He gets to go down and give his little spiel. Well, they didn't let him do it this time. Hmm. Uh, they said you've got two minutes or whatever the time it was, right. and if you're not done, boom, your microphone's gone. They did it to him too. Nice. So. Credit where credit is due, but I also think the people who were in control of the microphones knew that everybody was going to be watching for that. It's like, oh, they're going to give Rick Warren as much mm-hmm. time as he wants because they don't want him to leave and they don't want to look bad if they do. Yeah. So that was kind of a... It's really interesting because a lot of these stories, like I want to say over half of them, have, have everything to do with fear of man rather than fear of God. Mm. On the, on the you know, for, It's a contrast of fear of God versus fear of man. Yeah. And, oh, and yeah. Almost, uh, I want to say majority of these. Yeah. And I, I should have gone back and looked up the details on this legal brief thing. Yeah. Because that was relatively recent. You, you know, I, I'm inclined to say on all these that a lot of them get twisted when they're reported. Right. Because, you know, filing... And again, I'm not necessarily getting the specifics of this one that they're reporting on, but, you know, filing a legal... A legal brief opposing a lawsuit by a victim of child sex abuse or right. prob or I don't know, if it's somebody who actually was a victim of somebody who was convicted rather right. than someone who's 
alleging something that happened decades ago. Right. Um, but you know, I think the Bible itself teaches due process. Yes. It like does. there were, you know, even in the old Testament, there were, you know, you couldn't convict somebody on the testimony of one witness. You had right. to have two witnesses. Now that's not to say that we must take that old Testament law and transpose it onto sure. the American judicial system, but it, there's a principle there Absolutely. where it, it is not wrong to have certain procedural requirements. That's a good thing, actually. Right. No, absolutely. And I think the wickedness of man, I mean, give credit to our founding fathers for putting that in our Constitution, because although it, they understood and, and knew that it would result in guilty men going free, they knew that the wickedness of man would completely pervert mm -hmm. and end up, and you would have innocent men and being convicted and right. imprisoned and they right. didn't want that. Yeah. Yeah. Or they didn't want, you know, like we were talking about earlier, the bill of attainder with William Lodge. Like, right. no, this is, there's, we have a judicial system for a reason and that's what we need to go through. So it, I think the SBC is kind of, in some ways they've shot themselves in the foot on this whole issue um, in the way that they've dealt with it. Now, obviously there are things that they need to deal with. Yeah. It's just a question of, which people are you going to open the gate for right. to quote unquote help you deal with it without right. naming any names? <laughs> right. And, yeah. Because from what I hear, you don't want to name that name. No, no, you do uh, not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's a really unfortunate thing that needs to be addressed. And I don't, I don't envy those that need that have to Not make those all. decisions. Not at all. So yeah. pray for your elders and and pray for your local church um, because these issues are real. Mm -hmm. Those um, things do arise, and when they do, they need to uphold the word of God. Yeah, and not the desires of men. Right. However difficult that may be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, why don't we? Because number ten is a little bit longer than number eleven. Again, I don't number. I don't know exactly how we ended up with eleven, <laughs> but let's see. Number eleven says more than four hundred die after Jeez. Pastor Paul McKenzie of Good News International Church orders his followers to fast to death in order to meet Jesus, according to Kenyan authorities. So. Uh, just a, you know, obviously a horrible, questions. tragic situation. Yes, and this is a um, is very much in the tradition of the so-called faith healers, prosperity gospel types, uh, false teachers. Yeah, that's yeah. that's all that it is. But um, and we've talked about this before, and this you know is a, a it's a just an indictment against the American church that one of the, I mean, probably the greatest export of the church in America from the 20th century has been the prosperity gospel. Yeah. And, you know, this is just one more example of a way that it has wreaked havoc in Africa. Um, now, obviously, this is a guy who took, took things to an, an awful extreme, but there are countless other examples, not of people starving themselves to death, but of ruining their lives yeah. because of this kind of teaching. So it's just such a, such a massive event. Now, apparently they were able to transport some people 
to the hospital after they found out that this was going on and were able to save some lives. But yeah, just the fact that so many people were were deceived. And again, you know, we see this with with all kinds of cults, and they were classified as a cult by the government in there. Not that I want the government deciding who it is and who is not a cult. Um, but when even like the government can see it, like, oh, okay. It's not, uh, we tend to think of, oh, well, it's definitely, they prey upon the people who are illiterate and they're ignorant. They don't know what they're doing. It's, well, it's, it's not always. So these people were not all people who couldn't read or had never gone to school or that kind of thing. It's a lot of otherwise very intelligent people who were deceived. But yeah. why does that happen? Because this is, this is, there's a spiritual reality to this that we often overlook. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that the, the spiritual darkness, this present darkness that is upon us in this earth is something that a lot, I think there's, it seems to me there's a little bit of a, a moment. We're in a moment in history where there is a lot of discernment taking place within the church universal. And I think that it's a good thing. I was just sharing with a coworker today about it appears to me that this idea of logic mm-hmm. is kind of making a comeback. Mm-hmm. And I think that is only going to do well for the church because the more that the church has good, strong, critical thinkers, as in you know earlier days, mm-hmm. I think the better off she'll be. But of course, all of these things have to do with the spirit. Yeah, The Holy Spirit is the one who leads us. Uh, Christ is is not going to be mocked. Mm-hmm. And so sad moments, but um, uh, a good reminder to stay vigilant. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Now let's back number up to 10. number 10. <laughs> oh, this is the one I mentioned earlier. Yes. Ukraine's sham government preliminarily, <laughs> preliminarily approves an effective ban on the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. Disputing its claim to have cut ties with Moscow Patriarch Kirill. Now that is Moscow, Russia, not... Right, not Idaho. Yes. The real Moscow. The real one, yeah. Uh, Who supports Russia's invasion of Ukraine? The government and rival Orthodox moved to evict the UOC from holy sites. Other Ukrainian religious leaders tell of Russian persecution in occupied areas and ask for continued U.S. uh, support, which is opposed by some American religious conservatives. I'm not sure why they added that last part there. (laughs) I mean, that's probably probably true, but it's probably also true that a lot of Americans, and it's hard not to be... there's so much politics tied yep. up with this particular yep. story because I would, it's not just well, American sham, religious sham government in place. Right. Yeah. It's not just American religious conservatives that have, that have, you know, yeah. questioned, you know, American policy and the whole thing, or, you know, have everybody, it seems like everybody feels like they're compelled to pick a side. I tell you about that, that fellow over by, by Sterling's or buddy Sterling's house. I don't had, remember. Had a Ukraine flag flying in front of his yard. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I was like, what in the <laughs> world? And I'm pretty, well, here's here's what I know. I know that the man had a fair, way, way fairer skin than myself. Mm-hmm. And a few months later, saw him flying the Puerto Rican flag because <laughs> the Puerto Rican parade was taking place in New York City. I was like, what is what is this guy doing? Well, you've seen Seinfeld. That's just a safety measure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, so... 
uh, to back up here, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, and this, if this gets confusing, I'm sorry, but it's just, it is confusing. There's a lot of different groups here, but the Ukrainian Orthodox Church considers itself the true and only successor of the Eastern Orthodox Church that was established in Kiev or Kiev. I'm going to keep saying Kiev. I'm sorry. That's how I grew up. Yep. Old habits die hard. Um, but dates back to the 10th century. So we're talking AD 988. So it's been around for over a thousand years. Now, the history of Ukraine from then until the present is super complicated. And it would be... it was Russia. Yeah. Well, it was. It was Kiev and Rus. Yeah. So it's been in and out of Russia, the Russian Empire, the Soviet Union. But eventually, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church came under the jurisdiction of the Patriarch of Moscow. So mm -hmm. they were in the... Orthodox communion, you have what they call autocephalous churches, where you have the Patriarch of Constantinople, who's like the first among equals. And then you have, you know, say the Patriarch of Jerusalem or Patriarch of Alexandria or, you know, Patriarch of Moscow is the other example. So it's effectively, or the Ukrainian Orthodox Church then is effectively a member church of the larger Russian Orthodox Church. So it's not, they were not their own independent body within the Eastern Orthodox communion, if that makes sense. Hopefully you've got a mental picture, draw, draw the circles, you need right. to do a Venn diagram. But things only got worse <laughs> after the fall of the Russian Empire. So 1917, the communists take over. Uh, you have the establishment of the USSR shortly after that. So one of the results is that you had the Ukrainian... Yeah, one of the largest holocausts the world's yeah. ever seen. Oh, yeah. Um, and the church was not, you know, not spared from this at all. Yeah. But part of the result is that is you have the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, Moscow Patriarchate. That's the one that has been banned effectively. So the UOCMP. You have the Orthodox Church of Ukraine, which really only existed in the Ukrainian diaspora after about 1936. So a lot of Ukrainians flee the Soviet Union. They end up in different places around the world. They kind of keep the Orthodox Church of Ukraine going wherever they happen to be in the United States, in Canada, actually, it was a, a big uh, spot for them. Hmm. And then finally, you have a third group, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church Kiev Patriarchate that was established in 1992. Now they have, as, as far as I'm aware, they've actually never been recognized by uh, the Patriarch of Constantinople as an independent body in communion right. with the rest of the Orthodox Church. Yeah, they're just Baptists. Yeah. <laughs> so he's uh, the head the uh, the patriarch of that church has is also kind of a, a controversial figure but yeah to me this this is extremely significant because you have you know a country that is western uh, according to I mean, it depends on who you ask western democracy i'm using air quotes liberally here yeah now it's been that way in Ukraine for as long as most of the people in that country have probably been alive. Right. Because they went straight from, you know, the Russian Empire to the Soviet Union, which is full of corruption. And then you had all, all kinds of trouble and all the of the former... lines from yeah, the UN. And yeah. So the former Soviet states have, you know, they've all had their problems and Ukraine has not been immune. And I'll, I'll try to state the the facts in as neutral a manner as possible, they probably have been unique with regard to the amount of U.S. involvement in their domestic politics, partially because, I think, of their geographic location. And 
your the politics of Europe and Russia and and Central Asia. I think it's about as simple as you can make it. Yeah. Without going into right much more color, if color you commentary. Want, if you want more commentary and opinion, you can go find my Twitter feed. Sure <laughs> you'll, you'll you'll figure out where I come down on some of these other things. But to have a country that, at least according to the expressed opinion of the people who are in charge of those decisions in Washington, D.C., and it's 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, like mm. we must, the American people must send their tax dollars and weapons and such to support this country because, because democracy. And then in the middle of all this, you have the legislative body of that country saying, your church is banned. Yeah. Now, some people will, I mean, you can try, and they have their justifications for the decision, and it's it's because it's of- It's a sham, sham right. government. I mean, when they say that you, your ties to the patriarch hero are too close, and we don't like him because he's in Moscow and he's justifying the Russian invasion, which I, of course, he's wrong to do that. But it also would not be unexpected. Is it an invasion, though? <laughs> I mean, so let's not go too too far into that <laughs> right. discussion because yeah, don't want to get ourselves in trouble here. But yeah. I, in in one sense, you know, I I wish I didn't have to think about it all that much. But it's kind of like forced upon us. But it's very and it's very troubling. Yeah. I think to like this is a, a country that uh, our country. The fifty-first state of America. Apparently. Our country supports, and it's like, well, you should be on board with this. And of course, I'm not for countries invading other countries and going to war and killing innocent people. I, you know, I'm against that. Mm-hmm. But I'm also against <laughs> the state telling the church or any church you don't get to meet because of politics, because of the political situation. That's that's a, a bad development. And yeah, I mean, can you imagine for a second if if the state of or the Commonwealth of Virginia came out with a law after this next governor, because obviously it's going to be a Democrat, <laughs> signs into law saying that if your church does not have a DEI mm-hmm. program and statements and can provide that to the state, that it is no longer considered a religious organization. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to expand. Yeah, it's hard to imagine it. Right. Yeah. Oh, I wish somebody would. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's just so it's we've we we're so used to and been very blessed in this country, including some at least up till now in our our state of Virginia. Yeah. To have a government that is very comparatively to the rest of the world, to the rest of world history. Yeah hands off in allowing people to exercise uh, their religious freedom. Right. I, yeah. But this is just a sign that, well, we shouldn't take that for granted. We should. Absolutely. It's, I don't think it's going to change overnight here, but there's nothing that says that it has to stay that way forever. Right. Um, So while it continues, we should be thankful for it and work to preserve it as much as we can. And pray for those that are in places where they don't have that liberty. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just thinking of times when, you know, because my kids see news stuff and it's less in the news this year, this past year than it was the year before. But, you know, pray. The, and that was something we, we would pray for specifically during family worship. That and the whole war in Gaza as well. There are Christians on both sides of that. Right. And they are in danger and we need to pray for them because they're not 
we are brothers and sisters yeah. and they are brothers and sisters and we're not at war with each other. There are the governments of the countries that we live in are making war on the government, but that doesn't change the relationship between Christians in those countries. Right. doesn't mean that they're not capable of doing wrong and not to be, you know, appropriately dealt with. But in the meantime, because like I, I'm not in a position to cast a definitive judgment on who's right and who's wrong in that situation. But I know that there are people that I can pray for. And that's what we, that's what we tried to do. And like I say, it's hard. It's hard to avoid the, the politics of it sometimes. But yes, <laughs> I I agree. I agree very much. Yeah, but the bright side and the positive outcome of this is that there is not a time in church history where persecution did not bring a growth and a mm-hmm. spreading of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So. God works all things to good. Yes, absolutely. To the good of those who love him and for his glory. So mm-hmm. Amen to that. we can rejoice yes. regardless, yes. but be watchful. Right. Absolutely. And that's that's it. 2023 is done. Yeah. 2024. It's going to take a while for me to get used to that. Yeah. Oh, well. Presidential election year. Oh my goodness, you're right. <laughs> I forgot about that. I mean, if I've we tried to ignore the <laughs> politics. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a fun year. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of those years where it's like, oh man, let's see what's going to happen next. Right. It's like watching a crazy movie and it's like, man, what else can happen <laughs> at this point? Um, but yeah, the Lord's in control, so we ain't got nothing to worry about. Amen. It's gonna be that. good. Yeah. But All right. Till next time, folks. Thanks for uh, stopping by, and uh, hope you have a wonderful, wonderful uh, week. Bye.